Well, guys, I want to bring a message to you this morning that is entitled The Far Country. And it's based on Luke chapter 15. And if you're familiar with that chapter, you know it's the chapter in regards to the lost uh, sheep uh, and the lost coin and the lost son. And I'm going to pick up inside that chapter in verse 11 and want to read the context of that passage. I want to bring out some parallels and some contrast about the younger brother and the older brother as well as uh, to recognize what this parable could possibly really represent when it comes to the understanding of the father's love for his two sons. And in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, it, uh, it gives us the reminder of that parable where it says, He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he, all that he had, and he traveled to a distant country or a far country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he'd spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. And then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his field from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his census, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hungry, hunger? I get up and I go to my father and I say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. And while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, Quick, Bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. And then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with the feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now the story continues, doesn't it? Now his older son was in the field, and he came near the house. He heard music, and he heard dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And then he became angry. He became angry, and he did not want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Son, he said to him, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. Now you go through a couple of sets of emotions when you read this parable. First of all, you get the emotion of the, of the younger son who is just not satisfied for where he's at. And he reaches out to his father and he says, I'm ready to leave. This wings that I, the wings that I have is ready to fly and I want to fly in my direction and I want to take care of myself and I don't want to worry about anybody else but me. So why don't you just go ahead and give me my inheritance? My hand is already out, Dad. Give me what's mine. I'm leaving. So you get that emotion. The son's just caught up in himself. And then you get the, the, the emotion of the father who reluctantly gives his son that inheritance, as any father would. But yet through the process, the father never, never quits looking for the return of his son as his son leaves and goes to the far country. And yet the father sees the son when he finally comes home and he celebrates and he has compassion, he extends his grace and love and, and, and offer of restoration back to his son. Whereas the older son is home watching all of this from a distance now and is picking up rocks and putting them in his pocket, so to speak, and ready to nail his younger brother right side the head. He's, he's just fed up with him. He doesn't think it's fair. He feels shafted. And yet he, has it, he doesn't know the father's love like we would think he would know it. My question is this. Have you ever been in a far country? I'm sure you would agree, yes. We've all been there to some extent. And if you say, well, no, not really. I've always been in the comfort and the bosom of the Father, the Heavenly Father that I've known in relationship. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a selfish thought and took care of you and forgot about God? If so, you've been in the far country. And the far country has been a part of your life and a part of my life at some time or another. We also know what it's like to be in that far country, whether it be a long period of time or a short period of time. And we also know what it's like to leave that far country and come back to the home where we need to be. And we also understand what it's like to feel alienated because of the sin of our life and to feel restored because of the forgiveness of the Father. So I look at this parable. Is this parable really about the sons? Now, it is about lostness. It's not really a parable about sin, even though we know that's the underlying theme. It's really a parable of lostness. It's a parable of waywardness. It's a parable of, of just not necessarily badness, but a parable of selfishness. Now, badness and evil and sin, all a part of it, we know. The true emphasis, I think, is not really on the sons. I think the whole emphasis of the prodigal story is an emphasis on the father, the waiting father, the father who has patience, <laughs> the father who has kindness, the father who has gentleness, the father who has forgiveness in his heart. A father who has love. 
A father who says that he, 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 loves, he loves us and yet the parallel of this father in this parable is the parallel of the heavenly father who has love for all undeserving sinners. And you and I fit into that category. The younger son explodes in rebellion. He knew what he wanted. His desires were for him and he gambles it all. And in getting what, what he should have gotten in condemnation from his father, he received a release. Tears in his eyes, shaking hands, hands his son his inheritance. Not wanting to see his son go, doesn't turn his back on his son, but tucks his head down as his son disappears. The son is hypnotized with his selfishness. He is, is being overtaken by his appetite. He has ambitions that are way too big to even think about. He's lured by the promises of taking care of me. He rebels against the father. He shows that he is dissatisfied with all of the provisions that the father has given him. He's, he's rebelling against the restrictions that he has at home. He's rebelling against the father's guidance. And yet it was different for the older son. He liked it at home. He was a homebody. He really didn't, he, he, he would get homesick if he left and slept in some other bed. He loved his father, or did he? He wanted to have his own way, but be at home. He thought he was smart enough to manage his father and to get out of his father what was his at a later time. He loved himself too much as well and was interested in pleasing nobody but himself. Pride born of self was his guiding star. So the younger son literally went to a far country. The older son remained in his far country. These are good pictures of people like you and me, victimized and, and by our own sin, deceived by our own selfishness, rebelling against the loving restraint of our Heavenly Father. A great picture of a great God, though, who waits patiently and lovingly for the return of His prodigal children. So is this story more about the father or more about the two sons? I think it's about the father. My contention is that this story, yes, represents two wayward sons. They were not slaves, but servants, but sons that they will remain, as always will be the sons. And this is our story as well. So let's talk about and learn five things within this story that hopefully can bring it to light as to what this prodigal son or prodigal story is about. First of all, let's, let's talk about things we can learn about this far country. Number one, the far country was not measured by distance. The far country was not measured by distance. The far country is anywhere a person is away from God. That's the far country. A place without God or a place where you and I or someone else forgets about God. 
It's a place where someone says, I'm all about me and it's not about God. It's a place where many people find themselves and realize, I don't like it here. And therefore, I must go back. I must go back to the place where I call home. Home is where the Father is. And the rejoicing happens when we realize that we don't need to stay where we are. We need to be in the loving care of fellowship with God. So wherever you're not in fellowship with God, your life is a far country. Be mindful. You and I, no one belongs there. No one belongs to the far country. The far country will grab us and pull us away. The far country will be like a, mag a magnet that draws us closer and closer to ourselves and stick there instead of being drawn to the Father. Listen to the descriptive terms of the two prodigals. The prodigal son who's younger and the prodigal son who's older. The younger son said, Father, give me. That's why I emphasized it when I started off reading. He says, Father, give me what is mine. Give it to me. And yet in verse 13, he gathers all that he has and he goes to a distant country. In verse 13, it says he squandered. He wasted it. He, he, and on foolish living, whatever that foolish living is, and we can interpret some of that by the response of the older son when he gives description about the younger son to the father. So whatever that foolish living is. Now, if you're in a far country, and I've been there, you know that, that the activities that happen away from God is foolish living. And so we understand what this younger son was facing. Verse 14 says he, he spent everything. He wasted everything. Now, I, I remember the first time I had $1,000 in my bank. And you know what? It drove me crazy that it was there. I had to spend it. And when you spend it, it, at the time, you're thinking, hey, this is cool. I can go buy something here or there. And then when it's all gone, you realize, what did I do? Why did I do that? I bought things I really didn't need, and I thought they were going to make me happy, and they don't, they don't. And now I have nothing in the bank to fall back on. Well, that's kind of the magnetize that and, and blow it up to the far country. And so the son spent everything he had. A severe famine came into the land, in verse 14 it says. So not only did he have nothing, he now has no food. And now he's hungry. And it looks like he's become homeless. He had nothing, it says. So he had to go to work for a citizen of the country, of that country he was in, that distant land, and it was to feed pigs. And so now he, he stinks like pigs, he looks like pigs, and he's wanting to eat everything a pig eats. He's in the far country getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Why? Not because of the foolish living, because he left God. He left his father. He left the presence of that which kept him connected 
to where he needed to be and therefore it led to foolish living. He longed to eat what the pigs ate. And yet the one, the, no one would give him anything, the scripture says. So not only was he homeless, not only was he starting to look and sound like a pig, not only was he at a point in which he was the lowest that he could ever be, no one else wanted to be around him. No one else showed him care. The far country gets us that, gets us that way. The further we're removed from God, the further we remove ourselves from the people who love us and care for us. The older son... He's angry when the son eventually comes home. He will not go into the house and celebrate because this younger son got what he, he thought he should have never deserved. The father comes out and pleads with him and says, Son, come on. You've been right here with me the whole time. I've had my eye on you. You know my love. You know my care. What in the world has got into you? We've got to celebrate. We've got to rejoice. He says, I've been slaving for you, Father, and you haven't even recognized it. I not only cleaned the mirrors, I shined them up with Windex. <laughs> he says, I've, I've done everything, and you haven't even recognized it. I, I can't even get a goat. And this young son gets the fatted calf. He gets the better meat. And he says, son, you know, you've got to rejoice here. The far country is not in your, your brother's life any longer. He's back home. We have all been the beneficiary of the gifts of the Father. We have all received from Him and we have all lived through Christ because we know He has died for us and given us life and life in abundance. But we also know what it's like to live life when self is at the center. Away from the compassionate, loving father and the home of the father. So the far country is not measured by distance. It can be right where you sit in the place in this church building today. It can be right in your own living room where you sit today. It can be right in the car as you listen to this, as you go down the highway. The far country could be right, in you, right around you right now. If you're out of fellowship with the Father, then you're in your far country. Second of all is that the far country has many roads. You think it's just one dusty road that leads away from the Father, but it has many different roads. And yet... As a result of that and understanding, notice the two roads that are revealed from these two sons. The departure of the younger son in verses 12 through 13 of that parable, here is a, a type whose, whose lostness is obvious. It's obvious to the son. It's obvious to others. He's not at home. He's in his far country. He's not a worker. He's a waster. He's not lifting up. He's dragging down. He's not creating, he's destroying. So the far country has many different roads to go down. Why did this young man go into the far country? One reason is he went away 
because he was seeking to please himself. The far country is always about you and me. It's never about the Father. Self-pleasing is the very essence of his departure. It cost him the fellowship with his Father. And all the joys of home was gone. It cost him his freedom. What a tragic irony it is. In this story, it was freedom in which he was seeking, and he says, give to me, to his father, in the hour of self-will, and yet when his heart was broken, he says, make me. So it's interesting that he leaves for the far country to find freedom, and he becomes a slave inside that freedom. And he's willing to become a slave back to the Father. And he says, make me, give me, and then make me. Give me all that's mine. And when he come to his senses, he says, make me as a hired servant, a slave. To a Jew, that's humiliation. It cost him his very all. The story says that he spent all that he had the demise of the younger in verses 14 through 16. First, when he reached that far country, what did he do? He wasted his substance on foolish living, riotous living, reckless living, whatever term you want to use. He took the gifts that his father bestowed upon him and he wasted it. What did he waste? His substance. He had come into the possession of the gifts from the father so mankind is seen here going out from God, wasting the substance, God's substance that he gives us. What substance is wasted in the far country? Fellowship with God, the love of the Father, experiencing in a powerful way, the, the anointing every day of the Holy Spirit, the guidance and the direction as God leads us. We're wasting that substance. We're wasting those things that God has for us at the intended time because the far country removes us from the movement of God's spirit at work and at large working in the inward crevices of our heart because we become calloused because we're so caught up in me. He joined himself to a citizen, which basically means he is out of work. He is dirty. He is hungry. He is at need. He has nothing and he's looking for employment to, to supply his very need. And in doing so, he's envious of pigs. Looking at the smelly, stinky, snorting pigs, and he wants to be in the mud with the pigs. He desires to eat what pigs eat. Now, I don't know, I have not really been on a farm, but I have seen the pig pods the sty, the place. I don't want to go there with a frying pan and try to grill some of that stuff. It is messy. And he's seeing it as a just a delicate meal right there before him. Wasted. And no one gave him anything. If he fails, let him die. That's what people are probably looking at him and saying. He's nobody. As long as he works, tends to our pigs, 
because that's going to be our bacon tomorrow. That's all we need. And if he dies, we throw him out. The far country will give nothing. It has no pity. It has no sympathy. And it offers no help. Certain things that stand out about the elder brother, his whole attitude, that, that of years of obedience to his father is, is now seen as grim duty, not obedience. And not a loving service, but yet grudgingly. His old attitude is one of utter lack of sympathy for the rejoicing that his father had over his brother. There's no mentions of, of bad things that the older elder brother did. He no doubt suspected and accused his brother of sins that he himself may have liked to commit. So he's pointing his finger really back at himself. Notice the industry of the elder son. His type is seldom counted as lost, either by himself or by others. This makes his condition all the more hopeless. He's not away in a distant land among the swine, as in the case of his younger brother, although he's just as lost as his younger brother. He's in an environment that's wholesome and clean, now the elder son was in the field, the scripture says. He was not a waster as his younger brother was. He was a worker. The fact that he was in the field indicates that there is one who, he is one who knew how to work. The elder brother did indeed have some virtues that deserve respect. We admire him socially. He had not brought reproach upon his father. He had not resisted the temptation or he had not succumbed to the temptation to leave the father. He resisted that. He never became an embarrassment to the father. He was industrious. He was thrifty. He was the enemy of extravagance. He, was, he has created no social scan, scandal. He had created no enemy of moral laxity. He did not gamble. He did not condemn lawlessness. He was entitled all the credit that was due him. He was the upright, righteous son in the presence of the father. But he was just as lost as the younger son. And notice his inquiry. The elder brother had missed the high qualities of his father's life. He simply could not understand the father's patience, the father's compassion, the father's forbearance. He, was, he couldn't understand the grief that his father had over his younger brother. He couldn't understand the emptiness from the absence of his younger brother from his home. His heart has become so frozen by his own conceit, just like the heart of the younger brother filled with conceit, and he lacked understanding and he lacked compassion. His brother was a notorious sinner, but he himself, the elder brother, was righteous. His brother deserved nothing except to be abused and harshly treated. He deserved to be praised and honored as a guest would in a banquet. He is an utter stranger to what his brother had suffered because of his own choices. 
So we can keep on comparing the younger son to the older son, but again, the question is, is this story about the younger son and the brother, the older brother, or is it about the father in the midst of the two? The indignation that the brother had, the older brother had to the younger was, I can't celebrate. I can't rejoice with you. I can't open my heart to forgiveness and restoration. You remember this far country has many roads and you and I could be right in the presence of the Father and yet be holding a grudge against someone and not forgiving someone or or pointing our finger and judging someone and we have taken a road into the far country, even in the presence of our Father. The far country is closer than you realize. The far country is just one slight deviation from the straight and narrow. It's just a bend in the road waiting to be experienced. Third of all is the far country is a land of poverty. Spent all, the scripture says, a famine fell upon the land and he became one of want. It's always like that. It's such a big cost in the far country. And what was the cost? The cost was fellowship with the Father. The far country does not aid us in fellowship with God. The far country will lead us further and further away from God. It cost him his fellowship. It cost him his freedom. What he left to find ended up leaving him to become a slave. The one who stayed home was a slave to his own desires and did not even know freedom. The far country is a land of poverty. Everything he had, the younger son spent everything he had and everything the older son had, he couldn't appreciate. Proverbs 22 verse 8 says, The one who sows injustice will reap disaster. Sow iniquity, reap vanity. And so yet the two are reaping vanity. And in the middle of the two is the father. The far country is a land of deception, number four. He came to himself, the scripture says, of the younger son. And before that, he was out of his mind. Sin had distorted his vision, clouded his mind, and this same irrational behavior characterized the older brother as well. He couldn't understand why there was a rejoicing when the son came back home. He couldn't understand dad's love for his younger brother. He couldn't understand it. As long as mankind is away from God, he's not really himself. And neither the older or younger brother was themselves. Only was he himself when he was on his way home. And number five is returning home from the far country. The older brother never came back according to this prodigal story. But the younger brother did. He recognized his desperate condition. He recognized what he needed and he recognized. Now what happened when he come to his senses? This is what happened. Sweet father, I remember where I need to be. 
as much as I am wallowing in the mess of these pigs, I realize the sweet memory of the fellowship of the Father came back into focus. I remember one time going to an altar and brokenhearted over a couple of things in my life and I just fell onto my knees in a crouched position on a concrete floor that was a makeshift altar right before us. And I said, Father, I remember when. I remember when, when things were right in my life. And I ask that you help me get back there. This is a sweet memory. The far country can remind us of that sweet memory. And he recognized his de desperate condition. And he realized that he would perish with hunger away from the Father. Confession that has sobbed its way through through the centuries is where take, takes us where we are to where we need to be. You find it in church, you find it out of church. High and low, rich and poor, famous and obscure, young and old, culture to common, educated, illiterate, peers from the eyes, tries to satisfy ourselves, but we realize the sweet memory. It is in the fellowship of the Father. And all ground is equal before the Father. He recognized the Father's sufficiency the younger son did. How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food to eat? And here I am in such great need. His determination of return was, he says, I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I will go up to him and I will say to my father, Father, this is me and I'm willing to be a slave and walk the let the belly of the ground be my hiding place. Take me back. He could have recognized his condition and never returned, but he arose and he came home. Having come to himself, he came to the decision, and that decision was, is, is I will arise and I will reform. No. It's not that. Reformation is good, but that's not enough. I will rise and join a church. No. Joining the church is all right and good, but joining the church is not enough. I will arise and go to work. That too is good, but no. Working is altogether right and proper, but yet it will not be enough. I will arise and go to my Father, and I will be face to face once again with my Father. That's enough. So the son took off. And as he realized in his coming home, there was the father coming faster to him than he could get to the father. And he's standing face to face. He's back where he needs to be in full fellowship with his father. Face to face. And he makes his confession. Father, I am not willing to be your son any longer. I don't deserve to be your son any longer. I'm willing to be your slave. The reception of the father in verse 20 is amazing. The scripture says when he saw him, he ran. 
It goes on to say that he loves him. He's eager to restore him. And so we see that he falls upon his son and he kisses him, a sign of restoration. There are times in my children's lives as children as well as adults that they've had difficulty. And yet standing face to face with them, not there as their judge, but there because I care and I want them to rise above it. And I've had them times where they fell into my arms as a child and as an adult and just limped over, realizing that what they needed was not an answer to a solution. It wasn't someone saying to them what went right and what went wrong or to give them advice. They just needed to be loved. And the son is running home to be loved. And the father is running faster than the son and he falls upon him and he kisses him. And already the son is receiving restoration, the invitation of restoration right there. The confession of the son is that I am no more worthy to be your son. Make me as your hired servant. Psalm 103 verses 11 and 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And so the son is experiencing a transformation a metamorphosis right there before him. The ordinary slave, in some sense, is a member of a family, but the hired servant could be dismissed at a day's notice. He was not one of the family at all. So the son says, I'm willing to no longer be a part of the family, and I'm willing to be expendable with one day's notice. So I am willing to become your servant and forfeit Sonship. The younger came home, and according to the best Greek text, the father never gave him a chance to ask to become a servant. He broke in before that with his love and with his intentions, with his actions, and he says, that robe, bring it here, that ring, find it, those sandals, lace them up. The robe stands for honor. The ring stands for authority. And yet the shoes and sandals stand for sonship. It's interesting that the robe and the ring and the sandals are awaiting that one who is lost. These three things answer exactly the prayer that the son meant to pray. The robe is to the answer to I have sinned because it stands for honor. And, he's, and it stands for him. And when he says, bring that robe, bring honor back to this sinful son of mine who's confessed his sin. And he says, then bring the ring, which is an answer to I am no more worthy to be your son because the ring stands for authority. And he says, nonsense. You never left from being my son. You have gone to your far country and you have stayed way too long. 
but nothing has changed the status of who you are. And then he says the sandals. The sandals is an answer to make me as one of your hired servants. It's an answer to that of that sonship. You are not to become the servant. Put the robe on him. The robe befits the father's house. The ring was the sign of relationship that he always had with his son. He is my son, and he reaffirms that he's his son, and nothing's going to change that. Put the shoes on his feet. The slave is never permitted to wear shoes. The badge of slavery was the absence of sandals. And he says to him, you are my son. Put those sandals on his feet. So is this story about the two sons, or is it more about the father? I think it's about the father. I think it's about his love, his care, his compassion. I think it's about a father who longs to see every one of his children in fellowship with him. I think it's a father who says, I have substance to give you that's more than what you could ever dream up and ever conquer in your life. I have guidance for you beyond measure. I can give you greater things of blessings beyond anything that could be seen in material. I, am, I love you with a father's love. I love you with an everlasting love. I love you for who you are and I'm willing to go the distance for you. Give me your life and let me use you. This parable is about a father who brings restoration and forgiveness. It is about a father who says, I believe in second chances. It's about a father who says, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to restore you and to give you life. I have come to give you abundant life, life today and the promise of everlasting life tomorrow. I am a father who cares and loves each and every one of my children. The far country does not have a grip upon my child. If my child will open his eyes and open her eyes and come back, the far country can be in the rear view mirror for the rest of your life. This parable is about the waiting father who's ready to restore. It's about a waiting father who's ready to give. It's about a waiting father who extends grace to those who do not deserve it. It's about a waiting father who says, I want to give to you greater than what you could ever imagine. And in the process, I'm going to remove all those transgressions as far as the east is from the west, which never meet. And I'm going to forget about it and restore you to life. The greatness of coming home from the far country is standing face to face with the father. There's nothing too big in your life that the Father can't handle. There's nothing too awful in your life that the Father can't help you get rid of. There's nothing too difficult in your life that the Father can't solve. The waiting Father is wanting all of us to leave our far country and come home. The waiting father wants the far country to be a distant memory, a far memory. So are you in a far country today? What is your far country? And do you need to reconcile with the father? For the longest time, I thought that this, this story 
is the need of confession and repentance, which is a part of the theme of this story, obviously. But I see in this story reconciliation with the Father. Now, all three of my children have said to Renee and I, we love you, Mom and Dad, but they've also said to us, we hate you, Mom and Dad, <laughs> when we had certain restrictions. But there's nothing like when your children stand before you face to face, regardless of what they've done and what they're doing, regardless of who they are and where they are, they stand before you and say, Dad or Mom, this is my problem. Can you help me? As much as we don't want to be shocked, we hide the shock. <laughs> and we, what do we do? We begin to help. We begin to reconcile with them in their problematic area. There's something grand about standing face to face with the Father and saying, you know everything about me anyway. And it's just good to get this off my chest. But I have sinned against you and against heaven. I really am no, not even worthy to be considered any longer a child of the king. And God says, nonsense. Yes, I will agree that it costs you a lot to be in the far country. And I would agree that you regret the far country. And I agree that your memory will always be there, the far country. But I want you to understand that the memory of being back with me will over, overtake the memory of your past. That the difficulty that you have and the sin of your life will be overshadowed with the righteousness that I put on your account. This story is about a father who says, come back home, reconcile with me, and rediscover the fellowship between you and I. Well, we don't know what happened to the elder son. The story doesn't continue other than he remained in his far country. But the younger son experienced compassion, love, grace, forgiveness, forbearance, whatever term you want to use. He experienced reconciliation with the father. So will you today leave the far country and come home. Come home to the Father and rediscover what it's like to see the smiling face of God again. Father, we thank you that you give us privilege, honor, and joy of seeing you as a patient, loving Father awaiting for us to let loose of those things that have control of our life to let loose of those things that seem to keep us in a, a conceited mindset, to let loose of those things so we can see the, the greatness and the glory and the goodness of a powerful, wonderful Father who awaits for restoration, healing, help, direction, guidance, new life. Father, we thank you that we can call upon you 
Even though many times we have the mindset of hanging our heads low, we realize that you take the gentle fingers and place them underneath our chin and lifts up our chin to look straight into your eyes and says, thank you, my son. Thank you for my, da my daughter for coming back home. Look into my eyes because there's help, healing, restoration, and glory. Father, thank you that we see all those things wrapped up in this parable and that no one person is too far gone and no one has taken a road that's too, too far deep that they can't return back home. Father, thank you for the memories in our own life of our past that keeps us from going back to the far country when we return. Thank you for the reminder of, of your love and grace and the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Father, we want to say we love you, and we thank you for allowing us all to come home and to be restored back unto the fellowship with you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.